This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. This is Annie Oakley, with music and lyrics composed by Sotos, Wills, and Campbell. It's a tune we've temporarily adopted as our opening theme, and you can hear the track in full at the end of the episode. The Sotos in that musical trio is Cassandra Sotos, a violinist since age four who has since become a recording artist as well as an industrial engineer, graduating from Pennsylvania State University nearly a decade ago with a high-valued appreciation for STEM and an unwavering ambition to become an international rock star. IISE members may already be familiar with Cassandra as she was featured in a July 2014 profile in what was formerly Industrial Engineer Magazine, known today as ISE Magazine. But years have passed, and we thought it might be time to catch up with Cassandra and see just how much her industrial engineering background has helped turn her music career up to 11. I'm David Brandt, IISE's digital strategist, and welcome to the 50th episode of Problem Solved. Sandra Sotos, uh, it's been a while. Thank you again for joining us. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for reaching out to me to do this. Absolutely. Uh, again, for those who don't know, uh, we featured Cassandra in Industrial Engineer Magazine. It's now ISE Magazine in July 2014. She and I met at the 2013 annual conference, managed to learn that uh, she was a violinist, which I thought was very unique. Uh, I also used to be a violinist, not nearly as good or successful as uh, Cassandra, and we'll get into why a little later <laughs> on. Let's go ahead and start at the beginning. You and I have talked personally, so there's a whole lot of information I know, but I want our listeners to kind of get reintroduced to you. You're both an industrial engineer and a professional touring violinist. How did that start? When and how did the violin get put in your hands? Great question. Thank you. So when I was a child around three years old, my parents took me to an arts and craft camp for kids put on by the Pittsburgh Symphony. And part of it was that uh, members of the symphony came to show the kids all the different instruments uh, in the symphony and they dem- did a little demonstration and I immediately latched onto the violin and I told my parents, I want to play the violin. So every day I was barely there. So <laughs> I apparently every day for a year, I said, I want to play the violin. And, you know, eventually my mother was able to find a teacher for me and the rest is history. That's such a dedication at four years old. Uh, you you just you knew immediately. I knew immediately. I just thought I remember I remember the camp and seeing the instruments and being really enamored by it. I mean, as far as the emotions that you remember as a kid that small are pretty ambiguous. I remember that moment, at least. And uh, I apparently had enough determination 
after that to uh, ask my parents daily for it. <laughs> Certainly, it's it's taking you very far. My story really started with my brother. My older brother had played uh, the violin, but we had a, a fiddle. And I didn't know the difference really between the two instruments. And I learned, of course, that the fiddle has the lower bridge. And that's how it makes that, you know, harmonic sound. And many of these southern hits I knew growing up, having been born and raised in Georgia. <laughs> and uh, so I learned on there and I you know did the typical middle school program. I didn't have any private tutorials or anything, but I took part in county orchestra festivals and things of that nature. And then by the time I got into high school, I really just stopped playing Mozart and Beethoven. And I started playing R.E.M. and the Beatles and the Violent Femmes. Yeah. And once I started doing that, I thought to myself, uh, this being in the late 90s, like, oh, this is a lot of fun, but this isn't going to get me anywhere because I think the most infamous fiddler at that point, uh, or I guess you could almost categorize him as a violinist, was the violinist for the Dave Matthews Band. And I thought, okay, well, that guy's got the job. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm never going to get know, any further right? with this. You um, make such a good point. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I remember from our profile a few years ago, uh, you actually started performing live very early on, I think roughly around the age of eight, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, my first my first gig, if you will, <laughs> was when I was eight and I started playing with a square dance band in Western Pennsylvania that was actually down the road from where I live. Now, it's extremely lucky for us that there, that place existed. It was called the League of Arts and there was square dance music that was played there because there's pretty much nothing else down the road from us. <laughs> So it was really a, a stroke of fate that that was existing at that time near where I was <laughs> in you know my life. Sure. So what was the constant though? I know you said that you were immediately attached to it and that you know you you begged your mother to you know get your lessons and and to really improve on it, but to be this consistent with it now through I would imagine you know the majority of your life and the phases of your life. Why was the violin the constant? Why was this career path for you? always there? You know, that's a great question. And I have never been asked that specifically. Uh, but if I am reflecting on that now, I'd say that it became such an important part of my identity uh, really early on. And in, you know, both positive and negative ways, of course, throughout my existence. Sure. I think that as a kid, it was really good for me to be involved in as a kid because it gave me that experience that if you love something, it's not always fun, but if you practice, you'll get better and you'll have a sense of accomplishment. And it gave me something that was mine, that was me and became actually my voice and who I am and what I do um, more than anything else. And of course, everyone's involved in multiple things in their life. I had other things that I was interested in, but it was always sort of the number one thing that I knew that I would never let go of. And I think it had to do with that sense of accomplishment, communication for me too, the voice thing, and then, you know, identity and having something that was mine and who I was at such an early age. Among those other activities and elements in your life eventually became industrial engineering. As we shift to what our audience has certainly been curious about this entire time so far, how did yeah, industrial course. engineering, <laughs> how did industrial engineering enter the picture? Well, uh, actually, so one of the other things that I was, I was always, uh, you know, whatever you would call academically gifted in the, in the maths and sciences. So I was always really interested in, in it too. So, you know, I, I did very well in school. I was always 
Um, I was actually doing science projects for the Pennsylvania Junior Academy of Science, which was a extracurricular, not school activity and the state final championship of that. It's like you do a you do a science project or a computer program and you present it uh, to a to a jury and you do it like at the local level. And then if you get a score high enough, you go to the state level, which was held at Penn State University. All right. So that's how Penn State showed up. (laughs) That's how Penn State showed up. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh, Western PA. And um, I was involved in that. Um, I've always just really loved math and science. Like I, you know, not only was I good at it, I really actually liked it a lot too. And I had this attitude, which I think was a positive one that was just because I'm interested in music or have this band that I'm in and I'm doing that doesn't mean that I'm not also going to do well in school and explore other things that I like and that I'm good at too. For a really long time, I saw myself as able to do as many things as I wanted to do. And I'm glad that I was like that then. So Pennsylvania junior PJAS, as we call it at the state level, whenever you're a junior in high school, you're also competing for scholarship to Penn state. Ah. So it was, you know, not like a full, it was just a little scholarship, but it was specific. I got a scholarship and it was specific to the college of engineering. It was something to get you in the door, basically. Yes. Get you in the door. So off I went, I applied to a couple schools, but I ended up, of course, (laughs) going to Penn state. I did not start off in industrial engineering though. I did not know what that was as a high schooler or even as an incoming freshman. Who turned you on to that? Well, actually for freshman orientation, I had a couple of options because I was also in the Schreier Honors College. Uh, I just can't help applying for so many things. (laughs) You You, you like to stay busy. You you like to stay busy. (laughs) Have to be busy, have to be creating, whether it's uh, academically or business wise or musically, I have to have to be doing stuff. Um, And I've been like that the whole time. So I was in the Schreier Honors College and they have their own freshman orientation. But I was also given the opportunity to participate in women engineering orientation. And I chose to do that because I wanted to meet other women uh, that were going to be in my classes in the engineering program. And one of my mentors was an industrial engineering major. Oh, all right. So I actually started out, I was, I had the bright idea that I was going to be a bioengineer. <laughs> did, you, <laughs> did you know entirely what that involved? <laughs> no, I did not know what that involved. I didn't know what it involved. Um, that makes me think of the uh, Seinfeld subplot where uh, George Costanza wants to start telling people he's a marine biologist. And he doesn't know entirely what that is. <laughs> it, it was sort of like that. It was definitely one of those situations for me. I thought, oh, well, you know, I could go to medical school because, you know, I could also be an international rock star and go to medical school. <laughs> why not? Honestly, why not? <laughs> why not? Well, somebody has to be the first. Why not you? <laughs> exactly. So what? But at the same time, this is around the same time that I started learning that it's more beneficial if you are doing multiple disciplines or multiple activities that are at least complementary to one another. Yes. So it helps. um, (laughs) It helps. So like, what are you really interested in? What is it that you're actually passionate about? Like, yes, I got a scholarship to the College of Engineering and that's how I ended up there. I'm good at math. That's how I ended up there. But what am I actually interested in? 
what is actually going to be a complementary path for me, knowing that I'm interested in all these things. Um, and I met this woman who was a mentor and she was an industrial engineering major and explained what exactly that meant and like what some of her internships and co-ops and things like that were. And that was how I was introduced to it. But what was the balance then for your music career, whatever you considered that to be at the time, whether it was still sort of um, your constant hobby or if you were already, you know, predicting a career in music at this point, the balance between that and your academic work as a Penn State industrial engineer. For the first year of college at Penn State, I was driving back to Western Pennsylvania to play with my band, like a a local band that I was in. And it was very strenuous for me. It was difficult academically. You know, the first year you don't have the same major. I wasn't really even taking industrial engineering classes. It was just the core classes. So it didn't really change my my path or anything like that as far as knowing whether or not I was going to go into industrial engineering. But those classes are difficult for an incoming freshman. And they're even more difficult if you're just leaving every weekend and not getting involved. And it was too much for me. So after that first year, I went back for the summer and I, I ended up not continuing with that band once fall sophomore year sure. um, happened. And, and I got, I switched my major and I got a co-op at Johnson and Johnson. So it was in New Jersey which was very close to New York. Mm-hmm. So I was, I'm very, I'm now looking back, realizing how strategic I was and maybe not even know. <laughs> I didn't do a whole lot of music studies. You know, unfortunately I did not get involved in the music school, but I, I did do things to, you know, afford myself the opportunity to at least meet other musicians. Like when I was in, uh, in that co-op and going to New York and seeing people that I knew and seeing shows and things like that. So I always was able to keep it sort of involved in what I was doing, even if it was different than what I was studying. Well, and to your earlier point, you talked about complementary activities and right. objectively speaking, I think it would be difficult to balance the demands of your industrial engineering degree work and the demands of if you had participated in, say, the orchestra at Penn State or any other activities in the School of Music, because certainly with your talent and experience, they surely would have wanted you <laughs> you know, to spend a lot of time there when you needed to be focused on you know, your yeah. co-op or anything else in the uh, industrial engineering department. Right. So, actually, you know, you're totally right. And thinking about it that way, I think that it would have been too much for me to be consistently involved in programs related to music. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I did was I, I was able to do what I considered quality over quantity sort of things. Like if I was invited to do some really cool performance that was out of state, I would do that like once a semester, but I would do my darndest to make sure that it happened. Freshman year, I was driving back to Pittsburgh every single weekend to do whatever it was that came up. And then I realized that that was not going to work for anybody on any facet. So I adopted this quality thing (laughs) or what I, what I perceived as quality at the time, you know, that was at least had a growth factor to it. Sure. Uh, so you finish your co-op, graduation occurs, you're off into the working world as a degreed industrial engineer. I believe you had gone on to Accenture at this point. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that experience in your early career. Well, 
you know, <laughs> consulting is a career. Yes. Um, it's not a job. So, you know, a lot of, all of this has been, was, a, and still is actually a balance of learning what it is that your goals actually are, what it is that you're actually interested in and how to make it all work together efficiently. And so that all of the things that are in your program are benefiting from one another in some way and some capacity over time. So working at Accenture was a positive experience for me in some ways and a negative experience for me in some other ways. I, um, I moved to New York city to do that. And I did that because I wanted to be able to be involved in the music scene there. Cause I did know a few people. Um, and I kind of made it really rough on myself by doing a lot of gigs and trying to meet a lot of people while having this career. And it was just really difficult. Uh, I learned a lot while I was there that I, that's still impacting me today, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was gigging all over the city all the time. Yeah, it's not exactly a small town. It's not uh, Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> no, no. And I had really good opportunities while I was there, too. I met a lot of really great. I had some of the most fulfilling, creative experiences of my career there that really set me up for success. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that part of that journey for me was the fact that I didn't know how to make a music career. I didn't have a sort of like how you spoke about in the beginning you looked at uh, Dave Matthews band and said, well, that's the job and the guy has it. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's pretty, that's a real concept that what you're talking about. Well, let me ask you this then, is that still true to you to an extent now? I know we're skipping ahead on the journey a little bit, but now that you're in music full time, is that still a way you perceive it? Because the difference, I think for me, I think you and I are roughly the same age and we come from a generation that at the time, yes, that one guy had the job and there was no opportunity to do anything similar because, well, he's got that job. Is that still how you perceive it? To a small percentage. Okay. (laughs) There is, there are some some realistic limitations of who's hiring for what, when you play a specialty instrument, Gotcha. those limitations are not as much as you think they are. Okay. There's a whole world of other artists internationally that you haven't heard about. There's a lot of, you know what I mean? Yeah. To this point, I think that whenever you are outside of the music industry, especially people our age where my band in high school, I was printing out flyers and putting them on windshields in parking lots. Yeah. Not that long ago before social media. Right. You know, it's a different world and it really wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't. Um, It's all happened pretty fast. It's been very fast, but like, you know, I mean, I'm considered, I consider myself a young person in the music industry. And I think about times where I printed out flyers and put them under windshield wipers. (laughs) That would nobody could even dream of doing that anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's like at that time being outside of a major city where it's like Nashville or New York or having a role model, that's actually a successful working musician. You think that you're either nobody or your share. Ah, okay. You know? So it's like, of course you looked at Dave Matthews band and said, well, that's the job. That's the guy. Because you don't know about everything from A to Z. You only know zero to a hundred. There's one through 99 
all these different things to do, all these different artists to play with. And then, then you multiply that by whatever it is that's international that you didn't know about either. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all there. There's a lot more things to do and a lot more paths to take than you think. But of course there's a finite limit to some of that stuff, unless you create your own successful project. If you have a goal that you want to play with Dave Matthews band, of course, yes, there's only one Dave Matthews band and he has to be hiring. (laughs) You know, if that's what you really, that's the one thing that you really want to do. Yeah. But you know, so I, if I've been clear about that, you know, if I have, if I haven't made that, point clear i know it's a little no no you have very much for the record my favorite brands are rem i just you know they don't have a violinist and they don't need one well you could play mandolin that's true that's true i did forget about out of time which is a fantastic album i'm gonna nerd out on everyone on the podcast now uh so uh well okay so here's the kicker you're working as an industrial engineer in new york you're doing consulting full-time yeah heavy demand job. You're trying to continue with your music. Uh, You're trying to get experience. You're making connections in in that industry. At some point in time, something has to give. Right. What happened that made you pick music? You know, I went into that area of work for a number of reasons. And I had this idea in the back of my mind, not knowing how things work, uh, that one day, I would get the call one day, like one of these gigs would be big enough. One day somebody was going to call me and ask me to audition and I would get it to justify me leaving my job. And then three years into it, two and a half years into it, I quit at three years. I realized I can't wait around forever for that to happen. I'm saying to myself at two and a half years into that job, I don't think anymore that I want to wait for that big call. I think that I have to make the call myself. I don't know what's on the other side of this, but I think that I have to make space for somebody to call me for something to come into my, come into my door, come through my window. I got to at least open the window. I have to at least open the door. Um, And it, it wasn't a matter of, development and patience. It was a matter of waiting. And I don't think waiting works. Patience, development, yes. Waiting, no. So I still stand by the belief that every person is as multifaceted as they want to be, that you can have a bunch of different interests, a bunch of different passions that can, you know, affect your career, personal life, all of these things. But if you're doing something that you aren't supposed to be doing, it's just going to hurt all of the, all of the things in your realm. So I wasn't getting bigger opportunities. I think because I had this other monstrous job that I was doing on the outside, people associated me with it. I mean, it was much less about what people thought thought about me mm-hmm. than what I was doing with my own time. But like at, at you know at a minimum, people did associate me with this job. I was not excelling at the job either. Mm-hmm. I wasn't you know I mean I did I didn't wasn't like in trouble, but I wasn't getting promoted. I wasn't like earning like high marks on my progress reports and things like that. So it's like, I wasn't getting the better gig. I wasn't getting the promotion. Like all of these things were just sort of 
really like slowly stagnant next to each other, like about to break all the time. Mm -hmm. And then I said, I've got to at least try this. I don't know how to do it, but I will just have to try to figure it out. That's why I decided to quit. So I guess my question then is, given all this experience you've had on those two separate tracks, Talk to me a little bit about the merging. Talk to me a little bit about where IE fits into your music, to playing the violin, to navigating what's beyond that leap. Absolutely. Uh, because you took you took a big one. I did. And a lot of people, uh, to your point, a lot of people probably would run into the same situation where they have these two passions uh, one of which is rooted in, you know, their livelihood, right. more or less. Another of which is rooted in, you know, their dream or their potential goal. Sort of like the way you described it as you could just wait and wait for that call. But that call's not going to come because they don't know to look for you. You've got to go out there the and make busy. them show. Exactly. The, the line li- is busy. <laughs> That's right. So, so tell me a little bit about how these two paths have merged now that you made this leap and made this decision to go for it. Absolutely. So this starts actually, this whole conversation starts for me back when I was in college. The thing that I liked about industrial engineering the most was at the onset of it, when I learned what it was and decided to switch my major is that it was very obviously applicable to so many different situations, to so many different industries. It's like, I think the world is, is, you know, run by industrial engineering. It, it makes sense to me that way that that's how we are living in society and we kind of make the world go around. And if there's anything I've learned in this job... It's that Uh, having come into this, not as an industrial engineer, but as as a journalist who came to this organization and learned everything. Yes, that's been my exact feeling since 15 years ago when I first joined. Right. So it's like you might not be an industrial engineer. You might not be working as an industrial engineer day to day like me by per se, per title. Mm -hmm. Um, You might not have studied it. You might have some other completely different job. But a lot of what's going on in the world is what we studied, what the discipline is, and you know, supported by at least the concepts of the field. So, like I mentioned, I was in the in the honors college, and I was supposed to do a thesis. I almost dropped out of the honors college because I didn't want to do the thesis. I thought that I wasn't <laughs> going to be able to manage doing that. And one of my professors convinced me to give it a shot. So I said, "Okay, fine." I'm not going to do this magnificent amount of work unless it's related to something that I'm interested in. <laughs> was this was this Professor Dr. Ghoul Kramer? It was the person that in that invited me to meet her. Ah, gotcha. Yes. And then he said, give this give it a shot. Meet this woman. She's amazing. Talk to her about your idea. And then she actually did convince me to do the thesis. Yes. Gotcha. So yes, in a roundabout way, it was Dr. David Claudio ah, gotcha. uh, first, who was in the, her research group who said, give it a shot. Let me introduce you to this professor. Just don't quit now. Give me five minutes. Let me make this meeting. 
So I did a, you know, I did my thesis work and I did it based on a product design thesis and I based it around my electric violin. Of course, I did the scholarly academic work, but I was, you know, using my electric violin and its uh, design as the model for that. And that's like sort of the first place that I learned that I could apply these principles to such a wide array of things. Cause I thought, fine, I'll take your meaning. I don't, I'm like, I don't want to write this thing. You know, (laughs) I'm like, this is a lot of work. I'm already up against the wall. I have, I'm starting this very late to begin with. And I'm like, I'll pitch this idea. (laughs) It's not going to (laughs) work. Well, lo and behold, it worked. And then, you know, that was, it turned out so well that, you know, Dr. Kramer uh, suggested that I submit to the conferences Present at the conferences. That's how I met you. Yes. Brand. <laughs> um, and that was me dipping my toes into realizing that industrial engineering is really everywhere. I was initially attracted to it because it's like I said, it's, it's everywhere. It's everything. It's every industry, not just corporate, but just systems. We live in systems. Um, and I was, I also have a passion for entrepreneurship and I, I was in the entre- entrepreneurship minor at Penn State. Uh, so that was like my compromise to not leaving the engineering school when I didn't want to do bioengineering anymore. I was like, all right, I'm a, you know, I might be a musician. I might end up a musician that however that looks, but I'm also a business lady. So yeah. let's do it that way. And we're going to go to industrial engineering. And it was just really perfect for me. Um, so that, that being said, I still believe all of those things wholeheartedly. And the way that I'm using the skills and concepts uh, that I learned in school, you know, in corporate America at Accenture and my job place has really changed and grown and, and uh, developed over the years. But every day I'm trying to do more and more of realizing, okay, like I actually know what it is that I'm looking at here because I looked at this problem this way in another context, because everything is project management, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a business, which is happens to be me and what I create and my likeness and my music and my persona and all these things. It still needs to be managed. It still needs to be improved all the time. And that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. So knowing that industrial engineering is everything, every system, it only makes sense to me that these concepts are applied all over the music industry. So one of the funny things about you over these years is I've gotten to know you. You described as a hobby doing industrial engineering research, quote, for fun. <laughs> now, as somebody <laughs> as somebody who was very appreciative to be out of school once I had my degree and working already full time before I even finished the degree work, uh, I was happy to not have the homework. Uh, but my job obviously is involved in, you know, involves study and investigation and asking questions. You had told me once that you enjoyed IE research for fun. Has that been a hobby that's ongoing or did you eventually wear yourself down and just be like, I'm a musician now. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> well, okay. I remember I remember when we talked about that and what I was referring to is that. So I did that initial thesis work mm-hmm. to turn in to graduate from the honors college and all of those conference papers that I did um, were 
after I graduated, actually. Mm -hmm. So I was continuing to work on that with Dr. Kramer post-graduating Penn State. And uh, actually what it turned into was I think I did two conference presentations and publications. And then uh, Dr. Kramer and I were invited to contribute to a product design textbook. So we continued another layer of the research, like, I guess, you know, part B of the thesis. Sure. And we continued doing that, wrote a chapter for this textbook with this additional research um, tagged on to it. That was a couple years, I guess, after I after I graduated. And yeah, I loved doing that. It was really enriching for me. Um, you know, whenever you start your first job in corporate America, depending on what it is that you're doing, especially if you're doing something like consulting, you might not get to do anything intellectually stimulating right away. Of course, there's mm -hmm. other things for you to do on your own or like, you know, volunteer to work on at your job or whatever it is, but de depending on the cards that are sort of dealt to you in that situation or where you end up going professionally, you might not get to do that. So I was leaving school. Like I actually, I do have a passion for the field. Another possible career path for me besides international rock star was, was grad school to become a professor, mm -hmm. you know, long-term. And, and so I really liked doing that. I wasn't getting to do things like that at that job. Sure. I know that's not the case for a lot of people. So I'm not doing things like that anymore because sort of that has, after that chapter was published and, you know, there wasn't any research for me to be a part of post that. Um, but I've enjoyed being involved with things like this and, you know, I'd like to do something that's involved with women in STEM, mm -hmm. um, encouraging women to do that, but also just sort of on my own, seeing how what I've worked on in the past can help me benefit in my professional life as a musician. I actually just like, I just got my hands on a book that's called project management for musicians. It's from Berkeley actually, where, you know, Berkeley school of music from yeah. one of the professors there. And I'm like, this is just, really interesting to read because that's mostly what I did at Accenture was project management mm -hmm. and to see it, of course, it's like you can apply that con those concepts to anything, but to see it published in a book for music students specifically is a really interesting merger. Um, so I'm reading that book. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what brought to mind the question was simply, uh, and we'll probably get into this uh, a little deeper in a, in a moment. Uh, but the pandemic, uh -huh. uh, you know, thinking, I mean, I certainly had moments of uh, I, and I've been in, employed throughout, obviously working for uh, the Institute. But I still had, you know, on my weekends, uh, especially early in, in the pandemic, uh, when I was thinking, well, I can't go anywhere for risk of catching uh, coronavirus. What am I going to do with my time? <laughs> and I and I stay pretty busy on the weekends. Uh, at least I did pre pandemic. And I thought to myself, you know, what, what is it that people do on Saturdays? I I've honestly forgotten. Yeah. So <laughs> I tried to fill the time with, you know, 
things that I maybe had left behind and I'd stopped doing. I wanted to, you know, sort of restart hobbies and that kind of thing. So it occurred to me that you did that kind of stuff for fun. And I thought maybe during the pandemic, Cassandra's gotten right back into the old IE swing. <laughs> and, and I'm... Oh. <laughs> Well, <laughs> funny you should ask. Okay. Funny you should ask. Actually, <laughs> I believe that I did uh, apply some IE principles to my life while I was during during the pandemic. Please share. What I did <laughs> What I did with my pandemic time was my partner and I who's also a musician, mm-hmm. um we flipped three houses. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> on our own. Wow. Okay. So we did all of the work on our own too. Uh, 90% of it. I mean, there was like a couple of hired stuff out there, but you know, it was sort of the perfect thing. We figured, you know, we figured out all the financing for it. Um, and we ended up purchasing, we started with one, but we ended up having finished three by June of this year. That on its own, I mean, the whole time I was like doing electrical and I was like, I'm an engineer. I can figure this out, you know, (laughs) (laughs) doing like, I was like (laughs) the full, full on like financial planning, full on project management, like not in the, um, in like a, almost a very traditional sense in the way that you would normally see it applied from a typical engineering standpoint, construction management (laughs) and, uh, you know, creative financing, (laughs) all of that stuff. So given all of that newfound construction management work you got yourself into uh, during the first year of the pandemic to what you were talking about before about, you know, the music career, that opportunity isn't going to come calling. I'm guessing at this point, and even if it did, if the corporate IE world came calling, I'm guessing at this point, you wouldn't really pick up, would you? No, I wouldn't. Um, And I remember you asked if, if people, if I do get offers for things like that, uh, and I do not formally, but mm-hmm. yes. Um, but at this point in my life and my career, no, I wouldn't. Despite 2020, <laughs> maybe less than accepting 2020, things have been going really fantastic for me in my music career. Um, things are sort of rolling the way they should. Like I, I'm happy with my progress and um, making a lot of great strides and I'm not in a situation where I would, I would want to go back to that right now. So let me ask you then to expand on that a little bit and tell me a little bit more about what you are doing now. Where, where is your music career? Where has it taken you? Um, and we'll get into the pandemic effect of it in a second, but uh, in general, uh, where, where do you stand right now? So in, in 2014, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, Uh, I was living in New York and I moved to Nashville to try my career here. And that has been extremely beneficial for me. I've toured with a number of artists. I've released my own music. um, And I started touring internationally uh, several years ago with a Bollywood star named Arajit Singh. Hmm. Uh, If you are an Indian listening to this or an NRI listening to this, you most likely know who Arajit Singh is. He's actually the most successful music star in the history of uh, Hindi music. Fascinating. Wow. And he's in his his prime. So it was sort of, (laughs) it was like playing for Elvis. It was just in his prime. It was really, really incredible. Very cool. So I was touring internationally, like full time from 20, I, I think they called me at the end of 2017. So all of 2018, all of 2019. 
and then March 2020 rolled around. (laughs) What happened then? How has this pandemic, for lack of a better description, disrupted what was seeming like the dream at that time? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, I was anticipating that I wouldn't be touring with him full time forever because he changes his format for his tours every two or so years reworks and rearranges the music and all that. So like, I sort of knew that I was going to be working on my own stuff post 2019 anyway. So I had that in mind. Um, I did release some of my own music that I had been working on prior to that, prior to 2020 during 2020, which was, which was great to do because I've, I've always wanted to release my own solo original material, which we'll play. uh, (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. For the podcast. Uh, but you know, I was really lucky to stay involved with the people, uh, that I met in Bollywood and with, with Airjeet, uh, because I did a lot of remote recording projects during 2020. So in between the housework and the construction, of course, which was all on our own timelines, I was asked to record a lot of music and just send it over there, send it to people around the world. And that was a great learning experience for me. It was a way to still create and stay involved. Um, It wasn't as much as I was used to before. I'm I'm very lucky that that was able to stay a part of the equation for me. Ergy plays like arenas and stadiums and things like that. A lot of people here in the U.S. are back to some level of touring, of some level of performing and for me to look at doing what I was doing before it's I'm just not on that timeline yet Mm -hmm. because of all of the international border crossing, especially India having so many issues with coronavirus. That's like not necessarily close on the horizon for me, but I am remaining involved. So in the meantime, though, as far as you're releasing your own music, you're working on your own projects. Is that uh, a a fire that's been lit? Is that something that, uh, you know, you're really focused on uh, for the immediate future or just kind of maybe pending until uh, borders are more open and you're more flexible in your world travel? Yeah, no, absolutely. So actually I'm planning on recording as an entire album of my own material this fall, winter to hopefully release next year. Um, I learned, I, it's like, I, it's like, yeah, I already knew sort of, but I really learned, it really drove it home that during the pandemic that you can collaborate with people anywhere mm-hmm. because of all the technology that we have. So um, I'm really hoping to tap into that and collaborate with a lot of the musicians that I worked with in the RG, uh tour um, outside of that tour, actually other, other international musicians. And so, yeah, that fire has been lit over the last year. Uh, and I feel like I have finally the cross of motivation, uh, resources and inspiration to really start a big project like that. And that's sort of, happening like this week, actually, <laughs> oh, <great. laughs> like literally like, like now, <laughs> like as soon as we're done recording, you're going to go work on that. Basically. <laughs> basically. I have a, I have a, pre, a pre-production meeting tomorrow afternoon, well, actually. <laughs> well, there we go. There we go. And, and by the time this podcast airs, you'll be pretty deep in that. I'll recording. Be doing it, yeah. yeah. You'll be, you'll be deep and, in that. You know, to this whole point, I will be the artist. I will, you know, it'll be me recording and everything, but I'm going to be the project manager. Actually, that's what 
I'll be doing as as it should be as it should be. And I'm like, hey, I'm totally up for this job. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I know what I'm doing. I I mean, I I might know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) I like I like the fierceness in that, and then you just sort of yeah yeah probably no. (laughs) I figured out. I got a book. (laughs) That's right. right. I have a book. I have a book on project management. I know how it goes. Um, I can certainly I can certainly write an authoritative email if I need to. <laughs> uh, well, I think I've gotten one of those. So, yes, I know you can do that uh, <laughs> uh, before we wrap up. Um, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit already. But when we talked back in 2014 for your magazine profile, we were reflecting on uh, a keynote speaker at the 2013 annual conference who was an IE who had a job as a Hollywood executive. And he was one of our keynote speakers. The lesson you said you drew from that presentation was that industrial engineers can essentially be anything in any industry. And I'm going to quote you directly from the time uh, you simply said, life is too short. Do what you want. Is that a philosophy you continue to stand by? Yes, it is. And I think that my passion for that philosophy has deepened dramatically over the years. And I think that over time, it's also a matter of knowing what you want and knowing what it is that you want to do. And you learn more about yourself and what those things really are every day. You know, I stand by that and I will expand on that. You learn more and more about what that actually is. If you are willing to look inside and evaluate what you're doing with your time daily, it was sort of like a blanket do what you want statement at the time. And now it's like, let me reflect and figure out what it is that I really want. What does that really mean? Because life is too short to not know what it means and then not go do it. Well, I think that's a truly inspiring message, as is your story. It's one that I've been fascinated in since I met you. I think it uh, is one that a lot of people may come to the precipice and see the edge, but never quite take that leap. And I think you you took that leap and you really were pretty high up when you when you jumped (laughs) and you've gone far. And uh, it's just fascinating to see how far you've come and interesting to see how much your career has developed and uh, just how you're not looking back. So, Cassandra, this was a great catch up. This was uh, great to get you on the podcast. We greatly appreciate you joining Problem Solved. Thank you so much for having me.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Metro Atlanta. This podcast is produced by David Brandt, Keith Albertson, and Michael Hughes, and edited by David Brandt. You can listen to all episodes of Problem Solved and learn about sponsorship opportunities by visiting our website, podcast.iise.org. You can also learn more about IISE at the Institute's website, www.iise.org. 